0: So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, out of our Bibles in the, the book of Esther, and so uh, again we don't have the slides for you, but we do have Bibles for you, and that's the old-fashioned slides in the pews there. So we're looking at the book of Esther, and uh, it's been a great study for me, like I've you know, I feel like like before I was asked to preach, I was thinking, okay, next time I want to speak on Esther, or I felt that that's where I should go next. And so as I'm working through the book of Esther, I'm thinking, okay, this is great. There's lots here to preach on, but what is it that I'm going to preach on? And then, you know, I just started working with it, and you know, the Lord just uh, He moves by His Spirit and His Word in our hearts. And um, so I just want to encourage you to follow along and and. Just let's open in prayer. Father, we just commit this message to you. I pray that you would enlighten our hearts. Lord, we can't hear your word apart from you opening the eyes of our understanding to hear. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Convict us, encourage us. We thank you that you know exactly what we need. And Lord, we open our hearts to say amen to that. Father, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was a a newbie Christian, newly married. with My new father-in-law has a thriving business with all kinds of tools and equipment. He has an acreage that's bought and paid for, and he has a barn that's full of hogs. He was seeing most of the guys that were working for him coming to know the Lord and making Jesus Lord of their Savior, and there were so many of them that were so excited about what God was doing in their newfound faith. The Lord seemed to be blessing my father-in-law in every way possible as he honored him. And things were looking as though they just couldn't get any better for him in so many ways. But then the economy took a turn for the worse. And at 50 years old, he lost everything that he had. He went from the top of the mountain to the deepest and darkest valley he had operating debts and companies all around the Bentley area, La Côme, some around the Red Deer area, where he had boldly been proclaiming the goodness of God and the realities of who Jesus was. Joe, that's my father-in-law, he was about to go through what would be one of the biggest tests that he would ever go through in his lifetime. Does he really believe that God is as real as he was proclaiming that he was? to all of his friends and his neighbors or was it time to fall back on what the natural mind man was proclaiming for him to do and that was to claim bankruptcy and don't worry about the debtors you know as a young believer I watched my father-in-law as he sold everything that he had to pay his debts he had a very you know he had every right to claim bankruptcy Because that's just what we do in this country and in our society, the way that our whole system is set up for the almighty dollar. You know, he had every right to do that, but as far as, as, but him wanting to honor God and those that trusted him enough to extend him credit, he felt that it was important before God to do the right thing. And to him, that was to sell everything that he had and work he even went to the as far as working for one of his debtors until his debts were paid. Proverbs 3:5 says trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. As a young believer, one doesn't get a better example of this of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, I know that he had to be asking at the time, you know, why Lord All of the people that were being saved, there were a lot of people being saved in his business. He had a couple of businesses and there were a lot of people being saved. And he was a very generous man. He gave to a lot of areas and and people in need and stuff like that. And so, you know, as time's going on like this, he had to be asking, why, Lord? All the the good things that are happening in this business, you know, why is this happening? As years went by, keeping in my mind how Joe and Claire Uh, as they honored God and they just continued to honor God, even in their little that they had, you know, as they went broke. I watched God bless them over the years, over and over and over. God really did take care of them. He really did honor them for honoring him. And it's been amazing to see how God has blessed them and he's taken care of them every step of the way in their retired life. We all love these kinds of stories, you know, that give evidence of God's hand working in the lives of people like this. It's very encouraging to all of us. You know, I could go on and on about all the different ways that God blessed them for their faithfulness as time passed, and it became very apparent to me that God was working, you know, he was working behind the scenes in so many ways and in so many lives. And as we look at the book of Esther this morning, the timeless truth that God is speaking in this book to all of us, it's very clear, and it's this, it's that he is in control, and that he is always working even when we can't see it. In this story, a life-threatening crisis develops for the whole Jewish race in many of the different provinces so extreme that their very existence is at stake, and it could not possibly be more hopeless and more bleak than what it was. And this would be hard to believe, you know, except that we've seen this in our own history. You know, in just a short 75, 80, 85 years ago, the the Holocaust. A terrible, terrible thing. You know, but despite this extreme hopelessness of this situation that we're looking at this morning, we see God encouraging the Jewish people of Esther's day and us here today through his word with truth and the truth that God is supreme over all. Even when life doesn't make sense, he's still supreme. This small book of Esther should bring us great encouragement. If you're finding yourself in the midst of a troubling situation right now, I want you to take heart because God has your best interest in mind. We see a very clear picture of God's hand at work behind the scenes to protect and even advance his people, as they stayed faithful to him in the midst of their struggle. Though God is not mentioned and prayer is not encouraged in this book, it's very apparent that God is working to set things up to accomplish his own purposes. Now, the primary purpose of the writing of the book of Esther was to relate the dramatic origins of the Feast of Purim. Now, Purim is a Jewish festival that's commemorating the deliverance of the Jews in Persia. From Haman's evil plot against them. So, Purim is the feast that they set up and said, okay, we got to do this so that we don't ever forget this, what God has done for us. And so, chapter 9 of Esther is uh, in verse 26 through 37, it just draws out for us what this was. And it says, therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word per. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish a custom that they had that they and their descendants and all who joined them would without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by their family, by every family, every, in every province, in every city. And these days of perm should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Now I'm reading that, okay, these days should never be, fail to be celebrated. Do they still do this today? So I looked it up. Yes, they do. They do do it. And the next celebration of Perm is on Wednesday, March the 15th, if you want to join them. (laughs) March the 15th for two days, and it ends on March the 17th. You know, but there's yet a greater theme in this book. And it's God's faithfulness and his working that permeates every scene. Some call the book of Esther the book of coincidences. But as we read this short story in the context with the whole Bible, it becomes very apparent with God there are no such thing as coincidence. In this historical event, the Persian king Ahasuerus selects Esther, a young Jewish girl, to be queen. Now Esther was taken to the harem. Now this would not have been a happy day for either Esther or Mordecai, the man who was her uncle, and raising her. You know, some say that Esther was probably a teenager. She was probably around the age th- uh, 16, and she very easily could have already been betrothed to a family member or family f- uh, friend. She was taken out of the only life that she knew by the whim of an uh, impulsive king. Esther began the one year of preparation for her one night with the king. "'She would probably spend one night with the king "'and then be sent back to the house of concubines "'where she would live out the rest of her life alone "'and with no purpose unless the king called for her again. "'The women of the harem were kept secluded "'and guarded by eunuchs. "'They were not allowed to give gifts to servants "'lest bribery was attempted, "'and no one could see them "'unless they were first carefully examined "'by senior officials.'" And then when the king traveled, his court and harem traveled with him in accordance with strictly observed regulations. So becoming a part of this harem is not something that I think too many would aspire to. Through it all, the message of the book of Esther is clear. God is supreme even when life doesn't seem to make sense. Mordecai, who had been like a father to Esther, he overhears of a plot to assassinate the king. He tells Esther, and then when this is found out to be true, the men who were planning to assassinate the king, the king assassinates them. And it turns out it saves the king's life. And so th- this event is recorded in the historical records. And uh, once everything settles down, King Hazarus he promotes a man named Hamas. Ha- Hamas. <laughs> He was heinous, but Haman to the highest position in the royal staff and commands everyone to bow down and honor him, but Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. And then as time goes on, and Mordecai continuing to not honor him in this way, it drives Haman crazy that Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. And Esther chapter three, verse five and six says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor, pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned or he despised the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to exterminate all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. The edict was issued and the genocidal laws were announced throughout the kingdom to annihilate every Jew, every Jewish person in the 127 provinces of King Ahasuerus' kingdom. Now King Esther had no idea that this edict had gone out. And so Mordecai comes to her with this news, this terrible news, and great mourning occurs in, within all the Jews. And he tells Esther, he says, you've got to approach the king and plead with him personally for the sake of our people. And she knows that doing so will risk her life because one law applies for every man and every woman who approaches the king who has not been summoned, and that's the death penalty. And unless the king extends his golden scepter, allowing the person to live... And you know, you can be assured that the king at this time was just maybe a little bit on edge about anybody coming in and seeing him one-on-one. So you could see that Esther would have a reason to be a little bit nervous about this. And Mordecai exhorts her, he says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise up from another place, but you and your father's family will perish and then we see that famous verse or famous line that says, who knows, but perhaps you have been come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther agrees, knowing that she's putting her life on the line. She asks Mordecai and his, her servants to support her in fasting for three days before she approaches the king. And as she nervously approaches the king, he stretches forth his gold scepter, welcoming her into his presence. Esther at that time, she invites the king and Haman to a banquet that she's prepared for them, or preparing for them. And at receiving this news, Haman, he's overjoyed. He just thinks this is the greatest thing, just him. As, you know, I want to encourage you to read the text because what we're covering today is just a snippet of what's in this book. You know, like even read this thing, take it this week and read it every day, nice and slow. Uh, like it's a, it's a great book. And everything just seemed to be going so good for Haman because he'd been put into this position of prime minister in his country, like there was nobody between him and the king. He just basically could call the shots. That's how this edict got passed. Everything seemed to be going so good for him, but there was nothing good about him. Haman was an evil man. And very interesting, one of our coincidences here, the night before the banquet, the king just so happens he can't sleep. And so he commands his historical records to be read to him. Great sleeping medication. Put your right to sleep. <laughs> the section that just happened to be read was that concerning Mordecai's discovery of this assassination plot. You now another coincidence. Esther 6:2 says that it was found recorded there that Mordecai exposed two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. The king realized that nothing had been done to reward Mordecai for this. And just by chance, the king said, who just happens, who's in the court? And now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on a pole that he had already set up for this. And so his attendants had answered the king. He says, Haman's standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. You know, it's like God has... When, he has, when he's going to do something, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the Lord. You want to serve the Lord with all your heart. When Haman entered, the, the king asked him, what should be done for the man who, the king delights to honor? This is uh, chapter 6, verse 5 through 12. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there the king would rather honor than me? Talk about pride, ain't eh? Talk about arrogance, So he answered the king. For the man the king delights to honor, have him bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. And then let the robe of the horse, or let the robe and horse, be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man and the king. The king delights to honor and lead him on a horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, "This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor." Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do it just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. And so Haman got got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai. He led him on horseback through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterwards, Mordecai's returned to the, the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and he told his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Now the banquet that Esther has prepared for the king and Haman is taking place. And Esther reveals this plot, Haman's plot of impaling Mordecai on a pole. Enraged, the king has Haman killed and Mordecai is promoted to be his replacement. A new law is passed enabling the Jews to defend themselves and consequently they are spared from annihilation. When everything seemed like it was out of control for Esther and Mordecai, when the king orders the ruin of the Jewish nation, when evil was poised to triumph, we can see very clearly that God is at work. We have to know him. We have to know the Lord so we can rest in him, so that we can trust him when we need to trust him because he is at work. He worked through their dark days and they were delivered by their oppressors from their oppressors. When I was a young Christian, now I wanted to learn what I could expect from God in my earthly life here and now. And like, this is the truth. I was, you'll say, yeah, okay. When you hear the story, you'll say, I believe it. I was seeing God move in amazing ways. And very obvious ways. And he left very little reason for me to doubt that he was the one really showing himself to me. I surrendered my life to him and I would saying, Lord, your will be done. Not having any idea what that even meant. But I just prayed, Lord, your will be done in my life. He was showing himself to me and and he was building my faith in who he was. And he was showing me how real he was. And how he wanted to be involved in every, every area of my life. He was teaching me uh, that he was aware of everything that I was doing. He was making that clear to me. He was aware of what I was doing, that I wasn't getting away with anything. He was teaching me that he was aware of everything that I was thinking and that it all mattered to him. I was learning about legalism and about grace and mercy and judgment and how this was all important and all this balanced out in who he was. And how this all related to me and my walk in this life with him. And I remember as I was trying to figure out, okay, if God wanted to bless me in my life, and, you know, what did it mean? And what did that really look like? You know, now, this is a little bit real simple and a little bit embarrassing to even tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyways, because it's what come to my mind at the time as I'm thinking about this, thinking, okay, Lord. But I was, you know, really learning about what I could expect from God. Raising a family and having a wife and living life and a job and responsibilities. And Okay, where does this all fit, Lord God? Because, you know, we have this, there's there's text in the scripture. I'll be more undignified than this if this is what God wants. Or God taking the foolish things to confound the wise. You know, we want to make sure we're taking scripture in context when we're reading scripture because we can do some pretty foolish things that are not even God's will if we're not careful. You know, so we need to know the scriptures and what they're saying. And so I was on the golf course all by myself and I was talking to the Lord about life. And I thought, okay, Lord, I know you want to be a part of my life and everything that I'm doing, you know. And I said, make this shot go right up the center of the fairway because this shots would go everywhere but the center of the fairway. So I said, Lord, make this shot go up the fair, right up the middle of the fairway. I wind up and straight into the bush, the shot goes. <laughs> and so I, well, that doesn't work. And then so, you know, like I was honestly wanting to figure out God. I can remember that so clearly. Talking to God about those kinds of things and where do they fit? How does all this fit? And what I could expect from him. You know, how does it all work? And what does it all look like? I needed to learn what it was that I could trust God with, with my life. If God was real, I wanted everything that he wanted to give me. I didn't want to miss a thing. You know, how is it that God is supreme when horrific things happen, and when maybe nothing is making sense? I received a book, you know, every once in a while you beautiful people come in and you just sort of unload some of the books that you have in your library because they just don't fit anymore or whatever and we get as staff to pick over those books and we get some great books and thank you for that it's awesome it's a blessing about two weeks ago or so somebody dropped off some books and i've picked up it's a coffee table book and it's called the holocaust chronicles and uh talk about things not making sense I've been reading through this book and looking, you know, reading about World War II and the history, you know, these times were so incredibly stressful in these people's lives that so many people just wanted to die and end this incredible torment of extreme anxiety that they were experiencing at that time. And like Pastor Paul was saying last week, he says that this life it can feel like at times that God is not there and that he's so silent. Where are you, Lord? You know, the scripture Psalm 91 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Pastor Paul mentioned a poem, Footprints in the Sand. And most of us have probably heard this poem. How many have heard it? Read it? Most of us. You know, this poem is obviously an epiphany of someone who's walking with the Lord and, and they're just learning about. Where's God at in my quiet times or in my times of struggle? And I want to read the poem. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashes scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one belonging to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, Especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and the most difficult times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. The Lord whispered, I don't understand, he says, I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, that you would leave me. The Lord whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was when I was carrying you. You know, sometimes we can feel so alone. Jesus cares and we care as a church. And we've got ministries set up in the church here to minister to you in your time of need, whatever your struggles might be. We can, you know, direct you into areas that people are serving in to come alongside you at times like that. And it's ministries that you can sure join and get involved in and helping others that are in those situations. And we want to encourage you to do that because that's what the body of Christ is all about. God is supreme even when life is not making sense. Pastor Paul also said last week, hang on and keep walking forward. God will walk you out of your present situation and it's true, he will. We must never give up. Isaiah 26, three, they that keep their minds stayed on me will I keep in perfect peace. God does reign. He is for us and if he be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Nobody can be against us. You know, one of the problems with life is a lot of times we don't know the Lord well enough. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We must know him. Especially when it looks like, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what's coming. And we must know him. If we think we're going to stand, we must know him and walk with him. We're not guaranteed a glorious life here on earth. Or that we will always see victories here in this life in the way that we sort of say a victory is. You know, I want you to turn in your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 11. Now these are quite the scriptures that talk about, you know, really can see a picture of, okay, what it means... to be a believer in the text. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 through 40. It says, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched flames, the, the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received loved ones back again from death like that's pretty profound stuff going on there and as we read on we see more it says but others were tortured refusing to turn from god in order to be set free they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection some were jeered at their backs were cut open with whips others were chained in prison some died by stoning some were sawed in half and others were killed by the sword some went out wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, Scripture says, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet not one, none of them received all that God promised had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. That's a quite a text there. What do you see when you look at the big picture of your life? Now, even though God is not mentioned, nor the word miracle or prayer in the book of Esther, it is very clear and evident that God is working behind the scenes in this book. God takes the natural and works supernaturally. My father-in-law, he always said, you do the possible, Mark and God will do the impossible. God says that he makes all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God does not owe us an explanation. He works all things to the counsel of his own will. This is a story of a young lady who is very normal. Normal very simple in the life that she was handed. We have no idea what happened to her parents, her mom and her dad, that Mordecai had to raise her, adopt her and raise her. We get a picture of a crisis and how this crisis was met. We are introduced to the crisis in chapter two and the plot thickens in chapter three. And what we discover here is that God is a God of the crisis. He doesn't panic and he's not surprised. If we're enjoying a season of peace right now, God is a God of that season of peace. And if we're in a season of crisis, God is a God of the crisis. Scripture in Hebrews 13, 8 says that he's the same, yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know about you, but I find that when I find myself struggling the most is when I'm tending to be leaning more on the... having my mind set on the earthly things around about me. Romans 8.5 says that those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, and those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. How much like you... I've been asking the Lord lately for, you know, for, I don't know, a couple of months I've been praying and meditating on the thought, you know, how much like you can I be, Lord? How much like you could I possibly be in the earth today? You know, because stress enters our life. You know, and some of the stress that comes on us is is a healthy stress if we deal with it properly. Some of the stress that comes into our life is a not a good stress, not a healthy stress. When the stress that comes into our life pushes us into the ground and we can't look up, you know, we need to rely on each other, help each other, be there for each other, and reach out to each other in the moments these, like this in our life. And when we're, you know, because we can learn how to deal with the stress in our life. The scriptures talk about take, keeping short accounts. And, you know, it means a lot of things there, but keeping short accounts and all of a sudden you see you're stressed, okay, it's stop and say, okay, why, where is this coming from? And dealing with it. Whether it's a mundane day-to-day tasks or the occasional trial or crisis, you know, we so easily wonder, why is this happening to me? Or where are you, Lord? The book of Esther gives us the answer to this. He's right here. He's orchestrating the events of our lives to bring about his purposes that he's destined for us. He's there in the decisions that are made against us. And he's there in the decisions that are made for us. Because we see God placed Esther in the palace for such a time as this. We can trust that God's timing for placing us in different situations. You know, it's easy to struggle with timing, thinking that maybe we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But just maybe you're in the right place at the right time. Every human being goes through difficulties, we all do, where God seems to be absent. This is nothing new, and Esther encourages us that even if we can't see God's hand, we need to be patient, and maybe even fast. You know, the devil has a strong hatred for all of God's people. He's got no control in our lives other than what we give him. Talks about him roaming around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Scripture says that God has sent angels to serve those that re- to serve those that received salvation. You know, like God is bigger. We don't have to worry about the enemy; he's outside of this hedge of protection of these angels. The only authority he has in our life is what we give him, and we have control over that. Haman joins the likes of Pharaoh and Hitler and a host of other anti-Semitic personalities. This should keep, be kept in mind as we observe world events. You know, I once heard that Israel is a signpost for the world about what God is doing. You know, when you watch Israel and you see things happening there, it's a signpost. And uh, we should keep in mind, all of this in mind, as we observe world events and in our personal efforts, we, show, we, we need to show kindness and love to every person. Will we be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your hand, O majesty. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Will we be a people who say yes? Being willing to risk suffering persecution so that God can have his way in the earth today. A living sacrifice. We must be willing. Our lives are not our own. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. Who in their right mind would choose this life? (laughs) the believer would because they know the Lord. God wanted to deal with Haman because he was such an evil man. Mordecai and Esther were willing to stand and do the right thing, willing to suffer if need be. Are you committed to the Lord and his will for your life? Nobody but the believer can choose to do, choose the life that God sets out before them and say, yes, Father, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. There's a very clear picture here that God is always at work behind the scenes. The crisis for the Jewish race and their very existence was at stake, and it looked impossible for them, and yet it's very clear that the scriptures that God is showing us, that there is always hope. He's wanting us to leave here this morning with a clear understanding that he is for us. And if he be for us, who can be against us? God is always working behind the scenes, regardless of how bleak and hopeless our circumstances might be. You know, I don't know if there's anything harder than losing a loved one, losing a spouse, or losing a child, or losing a parent. You know, imagine... You know, many of the people in Ukraine, you know, like regardless of what our thinking is on that whole situation, just think of the states coming across the border and taking over Canada like they're doing there. But by the grace of God, we are where we are when we're here. And enjoy the peace in our borders the way that we do. Mordecai, he was just living everyday life and he responded to do the right thing in his everyday life that he was living. You know, we've got to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about our present situation and dealing with our stuff the way that God can work through us, in it, in us, and through it, through us. It's not wrong to be anxious. We all experience anxiety in our lives, but it's what we do with the anxiety that really makes a difference in our lives. Esther and Mordecai had a reason to be stressed about their situation and they were stressed. If you read the story and, and uh, Mordecai, he's at the, the gate, he's on the streets, he's in sackcloth and ashes and he's grieving, he's mourning out loud like he's, he's got some anxiety in his life right at that moment. But look what Isaiah 43, two and three says. I'm gonna wrap up with this. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Life can be hard, and there's no doubt about it. Difficult times come to all of us, and pain cannot be avoided. When life doesn't make sense, do you turn to the Lord, or do you turn away from him? Let this book of Esther encourage you that God is always present. Jesus calls us in John fifteen fifteen. He calls us His friend. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our comforter. He's our ever-present help in a time of trouble. Now I want the last verses. I'm going to read two verses, three verses here. Uh, about the faith of Abraham. Powerful scriptures here. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that God would become the father, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham's faith didn't weaken Even though at 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Like it was impossible, but his faith never weakened. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. So when you pass through the waters, like think of these things, this is your life, and these are the trials of your life, and you're passing through the waters, you will not drown. When you're passing through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. It's these angels that have been sent to serve those that receive salvation that are protecting us from anything the enemy would try to throw at us. And God has to allow these kinds of trials that come into our lives to develop us and to help us to know him better. And so we can't see these things and just lose hope in the midst of them, take our eyes off like Peter did in the water and start to sink. We need to just keep our eyes on him, the maker and the builder of our faith. And so let's just stand as we close in prayer. For I am the Lord your God, he says, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Lord, this is just a snippet of your word out of that that whole book that's there to encourage us, to build our faith, to to make us, Lord God, help us to understand who you are and to know what we can expect from you, Lord God, as we walk our day-by-day lives. Help us to hear your word, Lord. As we turn to your scriptures, I pray that you'd open the eyes of our understanding, that it would be just like a fire hydrant coming in us, Lord God, that would just about overwhelm us because the power of your spirit and your word. So I pray, Lord God, you'd go with us. This week, I pray, would be just a fantastic week, Lord, as the scriptures are opened and read and thought about and meditated on day and night. And that we go out and that we would be a light in our community, Father God, giving a reason for the hope that we have within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you.